Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 98. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. Sing to the Lord a new song. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. joyful noise to the Lord all the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises let the sea roar and all that fills it the world and those who dwell in it let the rivers clap their hands let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity sing to the Lord a new song for he Trusting in it. 
Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we pause and we acknowledge that you are the creator of all things. We give you thanks for the world that you have brought forth. We thank you for our own lives and we thank you for the neighbors that surround us. We give you thanks that your creation speaks of your glory, of your beauty, your goodness and we thank you that in your goodness and grace that you have bestowed on all of us and all of our neighbors both those near us and those far you've bestowed all on all of us value and worth that is set upon us by you not determined by our behavior or our goodness or what we've done yesterday or tomorrow but given by you and so we give you thanks we thank you also, Lord, that you are not just the creator, but you are the one who has called into our life to come and to gather in your presence that we may know you as our recreator, the one that makes us new. And so we gather here recognizing and remembering that you can do what we cannot. You can wash us clean, not just in our skin, but to the very depths of our being. You can take away the shame and guilt that so quickly surrounds us, that you can speak words that are true and guide us in paths of righteousness. And so we ask that you would meet us this day wherever we are, that whether we come with hope and joy or come discouraged and uncertain, meet us, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace. We pray that you lift our heads that we may respond and worship and give thanks to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Well, this time, all the children that are going to children's worship can make their way over here uh, out to the, outside the gym. 
Uh, there'll be someone there to meet them and take them down to their classroom. We're going to continue in our worship through a time of confession and assurance. This is a time for us to remember that God is different from us, that God is holy. But God, in his grace, invites us to come with honesty to confess our sin, knowing that his grace in Christ is greater than our sin. So we're going to do this collectively uh, through a, a, a collective uh, prayer of, a, of confession and then a song, and then we'll have a personal time of confession as well. Almighty God, your word tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, you, who are faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, even as we hear your word, we acknowledge that we are often slow to confess our sins and quick to deceive ourselves. We see the sin of others by passing over our own. Lord, have mercy on us. take a moment of quiet that we can bring our personal confession and our need to God.
Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. And we thank you, Lord, that for the promise that nothing in life nor death can separate us from Christ, for the promise that your grace in Christ is greater than our sin. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me, that, and we can speak these words of assurance together. They come from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen. This is the promise of Christ. And as we've been welcomed uh, by Christ, I invite you to turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
mis discípulos. The Old Testament lesson is Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable, abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge of all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. The gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm thankful for a chance to, to be with you this morning to worship and look at uh, God's word together. And... Uh, this morning we're going to begin uh, a fall sermon series on the New Testament book of Romans. You'll see a note in your order. Uh, we're going to look at not all, not all the passages, but look at passages, a selection of them from the first eight chapters. <clears throat> and we'll focus our attention on this gift that God gives us in the person of Christ. Um, and as we begin, before I read our, our first passage, um, as we begin, I want to share a headline that I saw a while back in the news, um, but it, it goes like this. A woman bought a sculpture at Goodwill. Maybe some of you saw this story. A woman bought a, a sculpture at Goodwill for $34.99. Seems like quite a bit, you know, for Goodwill, but it was a, a sculpture she liked. It was actually, it turned out to be a missing ancient Roman bust. An art collector named Laura Young was shopping at Goodwill in Austin, Texas, and she stumbled upon a sculpture on the floor beneath a table, and she thought it looked interesting, so she bought it. And she checked with some local museums, and after a while, and eventually an art consultant, it was found that it was a missing Roman sculpture from a museum in Germany, most likely kind of lost maybe during World War II. 
but it was from the first century BC, and it was of the, the head of the son of a famous general, Pompey the Great. Well, the story goes on to say that Laura Young did receive a finder's fee, hopefully more than $34.99 for that, and it's at a museum in Texas, but eventually will make its way back to Germany. Sculpture at Goodwill ends up being an ancient Roman artifact. Why do I tell you that? Well, as a way to start, I, I want us to think in our own experience, you know, how we're often so surrounded by voices and by words. One way to say it is that the shelves and the aisles of our lives are full, overflowing often. And it can be hard to hear, hard to pay attention. And the story, I think, invites us to imagine something that is important that can be overlooked lost under a table, something that is actually profound and a precious gift. And that's how I want us to think of the book of Romans, whether we've read it before, whether we're familiar, or whether we've never read it before at all. In the midst of full aisles and full shelves, in the midst of a life that's full of words and hard to pay attention, we're being given a precious gift, a precious gift that has the power to transform individuals and transform a community. The author of the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul, and he has a common introduction we'll see in just a moment where he talks about who he is and who he's writing to. Yet what I hope we can see from this very beginning is that Paul is not the main subject of this letter, and the Romans aren't the main subject either. The main subject is what is called the gospel. The gospel is the main subject. For the letter from the beginning to end is about this good and precious gift that God has given us in the person of Christ. The gift that can transform you and me. So let's look at this passage from the first chapter. It's verse 1 through 17. It's printed in your order of worship. You can follow there or in your Bible or, or just listen as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented 
in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, this is God's word given for our good. And as we look through this passage, uh, I want to ask two questions that will help us uh, move through it and understand what we're being offered here. The two questions are, what is the gospel and what does it accomplish? What is the gospel and what does it accomplish? So let's start with this first one. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel uh, means good news. It means it's, it's an announcement, a proclamation. And the gospel, this word, is not a uniquely Christian word. It was a word that was known in the Roman culture. For example, Caesar's official titles included the title Son of God. And when he was born, the birth of Caesar was announced or hailed as the gospel or good news. So the gospel of Caesar went out claiming that the most important person was leading the greatest kingdom of the world. Well, here in our passage, Paul writing to Rome, to the to capital of this great empire, announces a different gospel. The gospel of God, he calls it, or the gospel of God's son, Jesus. And as I mentioned, the gospel is this main subject. You might have noticed, as I read, the number of times it was even mentioned in these opening verses Paul says he's set apart for the gospel of God. And right away, in concise form, he tells us what the gospel is. In these opening verses, we can see first, it is something that has been promised. Do you notice that's how the gospel of God's introduced? It's something that God promised beforehand. A question that in many ways captures the whole movement of the scriptures is the question, does God leave us in our sin and misery? Or, or you and I, will we, we be left in our isolation or our separation? And from the opening chapters right after Adam and Eve first sinned and fell, the answer to that question has been no. That God has made a promise that he will not leave his people in sin and misery. He will not leave us in isolation. But he makes a promise that through Abraham's family, that God will work his power and promise, specifically through Abraham and King David, to bring forth someone who will crush Satan's head, freeing us from our bondage and being reconciled to God. So the gospel, first of all, is an answer to this question. It, it connects to a promise that's been made. And second, we see what, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus fulfills this long promise. Will God leave us in sin and misery? No. And we see that in the person of Jesus. We're told 
that he is a descendant from David. He has come in the flesh, even to the point of death. And he has been declared with power to be the son of God because he rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. He came in the line of David as king in the flesh and declared himself as the son of God by rising from the dead. And now all nations are called in Christ to receive this grace with faith and obedience. What is the gospel? Well, I want us to see that first and foremost, the gospel is not something that can happen to us or something that we do. We will talk in just a moment about what the gospel accomplishes. But the gospel, first and foremost, is news about something that has happened. An announcement about something that God has done in the person of Jesus. And that these Jesus events mean that the world is a different place. His resurrection affirms that the world, with all its tyrants and bullies, even though they've rejected Jesus, God approved of Jesus, raising him from the dead and giving him the name above all names, and now he's established a kingdom that will last forever. You see, at the core of this letter is the message about not just God in general, but that God has acted in Christ in the face of our sin, isolation, and misery. God has kept his promise and given us Christ. And now, everything about the world's systems, the world's values, and the world's assumptions have been challenged and redefined by this Jesus. And now this King Jesus is sending ambassadors to all the nations to tell them this news. And that's how Paul introduces himself that he's an apostle, which means he is a sent one, an ambassador. He's to go forth and tell the good news to all. Did you notice how he categorizes who, who he's going to tell? He's going to tell the Jews first and the Gentiles. He's going to tell the Jews and the Greeks and even the barbarians. <laughs> he's going to tell the wise and he's also going to tell the foolish. Because the gospel, this news of God's actions to keep his promise in Jesus is for everyone. And it's this gospel, this announcement that the Romans have received in faith. And that's why he gives thanks. He gives thanks for them because of their faith. And he prays that he wants to come and see them that they can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. For Paul knows in his own experience, it's not easy to give allegiance to Jesus. It's not easy to direct your faith and allegiance away from Caesar or the Roman Empire of that day to a different kingdom. It's not easy to let go of the values of power, of wealth, to take hold of new values in the kingdom of Christ. So the first question that we ask is, what is the gospel? And it is the action, the announcement of God's events, God's work to keep his promise in Jesus. And the second thing I want us to ask, though, is what does the gospel accomplish? 
does this news do? And maybe we can start with when Paul writes towards the end, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this proclamation. Now, it, it makes no sense to declare that you are not ashamed of something unless you feel tempted or feel pressure to feel ashamed of it, right? So Paul knew that type of pressure. And it's worth us maybe thinking for a moment about the experience of Christians in Rome. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the Roman Empire or ancient Rome. We can often think of some of the great architecture, the Colosseum or the, the Pantheon or some other you know, ruins that maybe you've seen at first hand or online. But it's helpful that when we think of the church in Rome, that we don't think of some grand building or even some kind of series of buildings. We can't think of the Vatican or you know, all these Christians going here and there. The church in Rome at this time was likely a few small houses, often in areas that were deemed poor, not even that significant. One scholar suggests that the number of Roman Christians at this time might have been one or two hundred people in a city of at least a million. We need to see that, that, that they were insignificant. They were insignificant in the culture and the nature of the city. And along with that lack of influence, Paul knows that the message is strange. A poor Jewish man from Galilee who was humiliated and killed on a Roman cross is actually the son of God who has risen from the dead and is establishing a kingdom that will last forever. Paul is well aware of the strangeness of that message. For he says that this message of Jesus is foolishness to stum and a stumbling block to others. And so in the face of that pressure and temptation to be ashamed, Paul says that he is not. And what we can see, the reason for he's not ashamed is because he remembers what the gospel accomplishes, what the gospel does. In the face of the pressure and temptation, Paul holds this conviction, I am not ashamed because the strange gospel is the very power of God. I am not ashamed because through the gospel, God accomplishes salvation for all who believe. Or to put it another way, this is news that I am glad to proclaim because in it is revealed God's grace and extraordinary plan to rescue those who are far off and bring them close. To take sinners and to forgive them and be reunited to them. This is what the gospel does. <clears throat> the poet uh, Charles Simic, I hope I'm saying that right, has a poem called My Double. It's a very short poem, let me read this to you. Eyebrows raised in surprise, he got into the habit of talking to himself and answering his own questions in a loud and angry voice. Eyebrows raised in surprise, he got into the habit of talking to himself 
and answering his own questions in a loud and angry voice. In just a few lines, the poet puts forth an experience that I imagine many of us can relate to, speaking to each other, even at times <clears throat> answering our own questions with anger or frustration. But not only is it a common experience, the, the poet in these few lines is asking a question, I suggest. <clears throat> is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that would hear my questions, that would even receive my loud or angry voice? Is there anyone or anything else besides me and my resources? When Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He's saying to you and to me that he's not ashamed because it reveals that there is someone and something else. It reveals God's righteousness. We'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. What it's saying is that the gospel reveals something other than us. Something other than our resources to receive or to hear in our best efforts. It reveals God's righteousness, not ours. It reveals God's faithfulness, not ours. God made a promise to rescue his people, to not leave us in sin and misery. And that hope of that promise from beginning to the end has always been rooted in God's faithfulness, not ours. What I want us to see is that we can't think about what the gospel does without also thinking about our limitations. We can't think about faith without also thinking about our powerlessness. The limits that we fa feel when we seek to protect those that we love. The limits that we feel when we want to control our circumstances. The limits that we feel in the face of sickness or when we feel shame and guilt upon us. What does the gospel do? It reveals the righteousness of God, meaning it reveals God's faithfulness. And this has been the theme through the scripture of his promise that God provides an offspring. God provided a, a child of promise to Abraham and Sarah, even though they were barren and past childbearing age. God rescued and restored Israel even when they had chased idols, even when they had broken God's law, even when they were surrounded by powers too great for them. And God raised Jesus from the dead even after he'd been crushed by the powers of the world and placed in the grave. And hear this, the gospel reveals that God makes sinners like you and me <clears throat> righteous sons and daughters. God takes those like us who have failed to love God and love our neighbors. Those like us who have stolen and murdered and lied and broken vows. And in his power, through Christ, God forgives and declares us righteous and unites us to himself. 
he does this because we cannot do this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals God's power to save sinners. I'm not ashamed because it reveals God's righteousness in the midst of our unrighteousness. And so how do we respond? As we close through the gospel of Jesus, God brings forth an achievement, like I'm saying, that all who believe, God gives them a righteousness a sure standing that is not based on themselves. In the gospel, God accomplishes giving you and I a new standing through the gift of Christ. And since it's a gift, it can only be received in faith. And that's why we read the righteous, those united to God by this gift, shall live by faith. The power and the actions rest in God and the role of all of us, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, first for the wise and then for the fool, is faith to receive the gift, entrusting ourselves to the power of God to work in our lives. So Romans, especially here at the beginning, invites us to dwell on this gift in the midst of many voices and the aisles of life that are full and overwhelming, even under the tables that this is a word that we need to hear. For it proclaims not our actions, but it proclaims God's work in Christ. And it accomplishes what we cannot accomplish ourselves. It makes us righteous before God and reunites us, it unites us to God in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are and we thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you for how you have spoken to us and not left us alone. And so, Lord, we pray that by your spirit we receive this word and and let it encourage us, let it guide us, let us move us to faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together in response.
Almighty and eternal God, you have revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and live and reign in the perfect unity of love. We rejoice in your eternal glory as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as we gather, we take a moment to remind ourselves of this gift that God's given to us, uh, this visible gospel. That's how the church has spoken of the sacrament of communion, these things that we can see and hold and taste that tell us the, the good news of Christ. We are those who were far off on our own, lost in our own ways. But in Christ, we have been invited to the family meal of God, to the table that God sets for his people. And what the table has said is not what we bring, not you know, the promises that we make for the future, things from the past. But the table is set by the broken body and shed blood of Christ. 
Our place at the table is through God's gracious invitation. Our place at the table is through Christ's righteousness on our behalf. Therefore, we have a place at the table now and forever. Our role is to receive this in faith and to walk a new life with Christ. If you know of your need, if you know of what it means to wander and to, to be a sinner, and you've placed your faith in Christ and him alone, then this table is set for you. Come and eat and drink, be nourished, and be reminded that your place is in God's righteousness for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, let this table be uh, an invitation and a witness to tell you who God is and the nature of his kingdom. It is a table set for sinners that we can come home and be called sons and daughters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And thank you that you have not left us, but have come to us in Christ. And as you gather us here at the table, Lord, I pray about your spirit that you would strengthen us and nourish us. We give you thanks for Christ, that through his broken body and shed blood, we who were far off are brought near. We who have known guilt and shame are now called righteous sons and daughters of the Most High. Let us learn to walk in this gift, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat the bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving can come forward now to serve. Ozzy, could you help as well? Yeah, thank you. I invite you, those who are taking communion, to come down the center aisle. You can receive the elements and then go back on the sides. Uh, I ask that you would hold the elements if you're able, that we can all eat and drink together as one family. If you're not taking communion today, I still invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and we'll offer a prayer of blessing for you here uh, at the front. Come now to receive God's gifts to us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Response to this table of grace, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing together as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us that love is shown by serving others. Give us wisdom and courage to tell our neighbors about your death and resurrection and give us grace to love and serve even those with whom we disagree. Help us to trust your promise to make all things new as we proclaim the mystery of faith. you to join together in this confession for 1 Corinthians 15. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers, to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our time of worship through uh, the giving of our gifts uh, to God. And so I invite the, the readers to come forward to, with the offering plates. You'll see a note in your order. You can, if you'd like to give to the church, you can uh, give at this time the offering, but you can also give uh, by text or online through the church's website. Uh, God has been generous to us, and so we want to respond in generosity that we may uh, serve him here in the neighborhood, in our city, and around the world. So I just want to take also a moment to mention a couple of things. Um, welcome again. We're so glad that uh, we could be together, even on a difficult morning with weather, to be able to, to gather. Um, if you're visiting, we're so glad that you joined us. Thanks for taking the time and, and coming to, to join us for worship. Um, and you'll see in your order of worship, there is a, a QR code. If you want to uh, scan that, you can fill out a, a Connect card to share your information. There's also uh, a physical Connect card back at the back table. You can fill it out if you like. To learn more about the church and get the weekly email, um, I'd love to be able to follow up with you and, and uh, answer any questions you have. A couple other notes about this morning. Uh, we normally have bagels and coffee uh, after our time, but we were unable to pull, that, pull those together and get those items given the, the storms that were going on uh, before the service. So we'll just uh, enjoy each other's company without coffee and bagels today <laughs> after the service. So, or you can just look ahead to, to next Sunday. There will be bagels again one day. Um, Another thing to mention, I mentioned at the beginning that there's uh, three dinners this fall that are being hosted by church families. Uh, you can sign up through the weekly email or there's actually sign-up sheets in the back. Just put your name down. It's a great time to enjoy food together, get to know each other better. Uh, so I hope uh, you, you can be part of that. Uh, again, take this with you. It has announcements and ways to get involved in the life of the church. Well, God has been good and generous to us and, and in response to generosity. Let's stand together and sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Receive now God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body will be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen. May go in peace. Mm -hmm.